welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. As former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort's tax and bank fraud trial continues in Virginia, President Trump has lashed out at special counsel Robert Mueller on Twitter, telling Attorney General Jeff Sessions to end Mueller's investigation. Yesterday, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders said the president's tweet was not a directive. The president stating his opinion. Um, It's not an order, but he's been, I think, uh, crystal clear about how he feels about this investigation from the beginning. Joining us is Bloomberg in the Bloomberg 991 studios in Washington is Kevin Whitelaw, Bloomberg News Deputy Managing Editor. Kevin, how how is that playing Sarah Sanders' explanation and Rudy Giuliani's explanation of why President Trump's tweet was not an order? Well, I do think that uh, we've seen we've seen the president at various points, at various times, rail against um, his own attorney general, rail against the probe, rail against Robert Mueller, and so uh, on. Some level, you can just sort of see this as part of the continuum. But but this one did strike a lot of people as a little different. It started to sound a little closer to an order, a little closer to a uh, uh, something beyond a recommendation, but maybe not quite an order. So um, you know, everyone's always looking for sort of where the where the temperature is and has something. Shifted uh, in the air when it comes to what Trump might actually do with regard to the probe. Up to now, his lawyers have been able to largely keep him on track and keep him cooperating. But you know, the, the frustration level has clearly been building um, over time. And, and he's got a lot of people both inside the White House, but also outside the White House sort of egging him on and, and wanting him to pick a fight. And this isn't like, you know, your neighbor expressing an opinion. It is Even the if he was expressing, yeah, he's president of the United States. And, That's uh, right, but you know, he also does know how to issue orders, and and the fact that you know, he tweeted it is a little different than an, an actual order. So, um, you know, whether we whether he's actually testing the waters or blowing off steam or or preparing to do something, you know, I think we're, we're, we've all been trying to figure that out. But we've sort of been on on watch for this for quite a long time, and at least it hasn't happened yet. Uh, I do know he's gotten very, very strong warnings for the past year from a lot of Senate Republicans. They don't want him to act against Mueller. Um, they don't want him to act against Rosenstein. And they really don't want it to happen before the midterm. So um, all of those things are still true and he's still getting that message but but you know he's 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 you know clearly uh, uh, frustrated by by the pace of this it is important though to, to understand even amid all of this noise and all of these attacks and all of the vitriol and all of the accusations his lawyers and Mueller's team have still been talking and negotiating and exchanging proposals over what it might look like for the, for the president to sit down and do an interview with with Robert Mueller so uh, there was an, uh, just as recently as uh, earlier this week, uh, we know that uh, Mueller's people came back with uh, with with their latest proposal, uh, answering an earlier one from from Trump from about eleven days ago. So this is this even though they're not close, even though it's not clear they'll ever get to a deal, they're actually still talking despite all this noise. I can't imagine any lawyer encouraging Trump with his many conflicting statements to sit down for an interview, but there are persistent reports that he wants to do it. 
And that's right. The, the belief is he wants to do it. He wants to show that he can do it. He certainly believes he can handle it. He thinks he's, he thinks he's good in these situations. He has had a number of lawyers, um, including some who have since left his team, who have been very strongly opposed to it. We know that John Dowd, who was his personal attorney um, uh, until the spring and been deeply involved in a lot of the early prep work and a lot of the early cooperation with Mueller's team, was adamantly opposed to the notion of an interview. So, uh, you know, I think there's uh, he's he's got his lawyers are are definitely on the cautious side. They're going to be trying to, if they end up allowing it, make it absolutely as limited in scope and limited in questions as possible. You know, I do think they understand there are some risks to simply refusing to sit for an interview at all. Uh, but they certainly can drag out the process. And, and to the degree they drag it out into into the fall, it becomes difficult potentially to conduct that interview with the midterms uh, and, and avoid accusations of it being a political act. And Kevin, while we've been speaking, uh, the president's national security advisor, John Bolton, has been speaking. And these headlines just hitting the Bloomberg terminal uh, in the last few seconds. Bolton says Trump determined to prevent election influence and that uh, the president has been confronting the Russians to stop meddling. This in the wake of the news from Facebook that uh, it had shut down some questionable uh, feeds and and uh, and uh, pages. Yeah, this comes from a letter that uh, Bolton uh, sent to uh, answer Senate Democrats about uh, uh, their complaints that that the administration wasn't doing anything to to uh, take ele- wasn't taking the election security issue seriously enough. So this is uh, 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 the, the latest defense of of. Bolton saying, that, hey, actually, there's a bunch of steps we have taken. We're taking it seriously. Um, it is one of these interesting things where a number of different people in the administration, um, including the, the intelligence, National Intelligence Director Dan Coats, have all issued very strong warnings about Russia and what it might do. But the president himself has 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 you know rarely been very uh, rarely been as outspoken and critical on this issue. And it does seem that uh, he's had a little trouble separating the the notion of of uh, accusations. And, and and conclusions about Russian meddling from from any sense that his own electoral victory might somehow be called into question by acknowledging this. Kevin, uh, we just have a minute here, but what might set off another tweet storm is that a bipartisan group of senators are introducing legislation to impose new sanctions on Russia for interfering in U.S. elections. In about 45 seconds, tell us about that. Well, that's right. It's an interesting group of senators. You have uh, Lindsey Graham, um, who, you know, for the most time, for the most part, tries to uh, be allied with Trump, um, has, has uh, paired up with John McCain, who's, who's uh, back home and ill, and Cory Gardner of Colorado, uh, and several Democrats to put in this measure of sanctions. Um, obviously, we're talking about something that, that is still, you know, months away, if ever, from, from being enacted. Uh, the House is out for, for the summer. Um, but it, it is a, a clear signal, at least on the part of, of Republicans in Congress, that they want this administration to take the issue of Russian, Russian meddling much more seriously. All right. Thanks so much, Kevin. That's Kevin Whitelaw, Bloomberg News Deputy Managing Editor. Yesterday, the Trump administration announced that it would boost short-term health plans as the White House continues to expand alternatives to Obamacare. Speaking with Bloomberg yesterday, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar discussed the plans, which have a history of consumer complaints. These plans are likely going to be most attractive to those kinds of people that I mentioned who are in transition, who don't have access to affordable care, who've been priced out of the Obamacare markets. That's really where the the population is going to come through going into these plans. 
Joining us in our Bloomberg 1130 studios in New York is Zach Tracer, Bloomberg News healthcare reporter. So, Zach, these plans were originally intended for people who needed insurance between jobs. Tell us about them. That's right. So these are these are plans that um, sort of emerge as a way, you know, if you have a, a month or two without health insurance, maybe um, you can buy some coverage that'll protect you in case, you know, you get hit by a bus or something or, you know, get sick. Um, and what the Trump administration is doing here is really uh, crafting a, a bigger role for these plans. Um, you'd be allowed to have this coverage um, for up to a year, and you could potentially renew it so that it would last for up to three years. Um, so all of a sudden, you've gone from these short-term plans with a you know essentially a three-month duration to uh, up to three years. It's quite a quite a big change. So these plans are cheaper, but as you write uh, in your story on the terminal, they have a long history of patient complaints. What are they? That's right. So these plans have a couple big um, issues. One is that they won't cover pre-existing conditions. And now that sounds okay. So you're going in, you're buying this plan, and you say, okay, I know that you know I have these conditions that it won't cover. Here's the problem with these plans. Um, if you you know, all of a sudden it turns out you have cancer or something. What the insurer is going to do is they're going to look back at your medical history and say, did you have this cancer before you bought the insurance, even if you didn't know about it? And in some cases, that will be enough to um, to make it so that your cancer care isn't covered. And that's a, sort of a big loophole here. And in some states, you can't even buy these plans. Why have those states decided that these plans are not good enough? That's right. So in um, in New York, New Jersey, and, and Massachusetts, you can't really buy this kind of insurance at all. Um, other states have their own limits, and a lot of states are actually looking now at sort of what their approach to to regulating this insurance should be. There's, you know, for instance, an effort to to ban these plans in California, and the argument is essentially, you know, number one, we don't think this coverage is very good for people, and number two, it sort of pulls, you know, generally healthier people out of the the insurance pools. Um, and, you know, that sort of undermines how insurance works. You know, when you have a good functioning insurance market, you need lots of healthy people in there, you know, to essentially cover the costs for the few sick people that you have. And, you know, as those healthy people leave, the, the cost for everybody else just goes up. And, and that's a problem. And so states like, you know, California are looking at this market now saying, what should we do about it? But you're not writing that the administration is trying to oversell these because Secretary Azar actually said in his interview with us yesterday, they may not be right for everybody. That's right. And I think the administration sort of goes back and forth in how they want to talk about these plans. So Secretary Azar, I think, has been pretty clear in saying, you know, these plans aren't right for everybody. Um, you know, they're, they're an alternative for, you know, some folks who've been, you know, priced out of the Affordable Care Act's markets, you know, people that make a little right. bit too catastrophic much money to get subsidies. Catastrophic coverage, mainly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That, that these plans are sort of catastrophic um, in some cases. Um, Obamacare has turned out to be pretty resilient. What are some of the other things that have been done to sort of try to weaken Obamacare? So this is just the latest in a string of regulatory actions and um, congressional actions that we've seen um, over the last year or so that you know essentially have the effect of weakening the Affordable Care Act. So we saw the the requirement that everybody buy insurance, the individual mandate, um, that was repealed in the tax cut law. Um, we've seen the administration also allow something called association health plans, which are um, sort of small business health plans, um, similar to, to the stuff that we're talking about right here. Um, and, and we've seen them cut a lot of money from sort of marketing and outreach. So, you know, one of the important things um, that we talked about with insurance is that everybody buys it. And the administration has really pulled back on some of these efforts to, you know, convince people to do so, advertising, marketing, and also, you know, help signing up. So when the healthcare exchanges open up for enrollment this fall, will these short-term plans be an option? Will these business uh, business association plans be 
an option in there? Yes. So both both of these kinds of plans will be available around sort of September, October, November, around that time frame. It, they, they won't be on you know healthcare.gov, which is where you go to, to buy Affordable Care Act insurance. They won't be available sort of next to these Affordable Care Act plans. They'll be available you know separately you know from brokers and associations and things like that. But they will be available you know starting right around the same time. So Senate Democrats say they're going to try to force a vote that would reverse the Trump policy to expand access to these plans that don't comply with the Obamacare's coverage requirements. So what do you think? Do you think that will get very far? That's right. So Senate Democrats um, today announced a plan to um, put up a a resolution essentially disapproving of this administrative action. Um, And so what that would do is, is basically put lawmakers on the record as to whether or not they support um, this move by the administration. And what Democrats are hoping to do is make healthcare a big issue in this election. It's been a, a really a winning message um, for Democrats going into the you know November um, midterms. And they would love to just kind of keep, um, you know, emphasizing that they are protecting you, um, you know, from all this stuff that the Republicans are trying to do. It's a great article. And you, you spoke to a lot of people who have had problems with these plans. And a Georgetown professor said it's a buyer beware situation. Thanks so much for, for being here, Zach. That's Zach Tracer. He's Bloomberg News healthcare reporter. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.